उपलभ्याशुतमा पूजयाम असधार्मज्ञो देशकाल विभागवीत भीष्मदेव हु इज द बेस्ट अमंग्स द एट वासुस रिसीव्ड एंड वेलकम्ड ऑल द ग्रेट एंड पावरफुल ऋषिस हु वर असेंबल्ड देयर for he knew perfectly all the religious principles according to time and place lord shri krishna is situated in everyone's heart yet he manifests his transcendental form by his internal potency this very lord was sitting before bhishma dev and since bhishma dev knew of his glories he worshiped him duly The sons of Maharaj Pandu were sitting silently nearby overtaken with affection for their dying grandfather saying this Bhishma Dev congratulated them with feeling there were tears of ecstasy in his eyes for he was overwhelmed by love and affection Bhishma Dev said oh what terrible sufferings and what terrible injustices you good souls suffer for being the sons of religion personified you did not deserve to remain alive under those tribulations yet you were protected by the brahmans god and religion as far as my daughter-in-law kunti is concerned upon the great general pandu's death she became a widow with many children and therefore she suffered greatly and when you were grown up she suffered a great deal also because of your actions in my opinion this is all due to inevitable time under whose control everyone and every planet is carried just as the clouds are carried by the wind how wonderful oh how wonderful is the influence of inevitable time it is irreversible Otherwise how can there be reverses in the presence of King Yudhisthira the son of the demigod controlling religion Bhima the great fighter with a club and the great bowman Arjuna with his mighty weapon Gandiva and above all the lord the direct will wisher of the Pandavas O king no one can know the plan of the lord Shri Krishna even though great philosophers inquire exhaustively they are bewildered o best among the descendants of bharat i maintain therefore that all this is within the plan of the lord excepting the inconceivable plan of the lord you must follow it you are now appointed administrative head and my lord you should now take care of those subjects who are now rendered helpless this shri krishna is no other than the inconceivable original personality of godhead he is the first narayan the supreme controller and enjoyer but he is moving amongst the descendants of king vrishni just like one of us and he is bewildering us with his self created energy in this chapter of the shrimad bhagavatam which is very moving 
and most instructive to hear. We find the grandfather of the Kurus and the Pandavas, Sri Bhishma Dev, lying on a bed of arrows. He was in a condition where from his neck to his feet he was pierced with so many bows, each, each one piercing through his entire body and into the ground. And a child could not even put a single finger between any of the two bow arrows. He was in a great amount of tribulation. But when he came, uh, when the Pandavas came with Lord Sri Krishna to meet him, laying on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, it is described here how happy he was to see them, how tears of love and affection flowed from his eyes upon seeing his beloved Lord of life, Sri Krishna, and upon seeing the Lord's most beloved devotees, the Pandavas. Bhishma is here speaking. He is explaining that the inconceivable plan of the Lord, even the greatest philosophers, even the greatest scholars of the Vedas, they have no access to understand. How is it possible that Yudhisthira, who was religion personified, who never even considered in his mind once from his very birth any sinful or harmful thing toward another, It is explained that everyone must undergo the reactions of his karma, good and bad. Therefore, in this world, when we see someone is suffering, we can understand that there must be an underlying reason behind it, either in this life or in a previous life. If someone is wealthy, healthy, popular, we can understand that this person must have performed very, very great pious activities in the past. If someone is sickly, poor, being unjustly treated, we can understand that this person must have done very unjust activities, either earlier in this life or in previous life. You could judge a thing by its result. But in this case, there's no sense because the Pandavas, they were the most perfect gentlemen in every respect. And how many injustices were upon them? When they were very young, <clears throat> it is described uh, that Dhritarashtra, he was so anxious that his own sons rule the throne of uh, Hastinapur that it was arranged through Duryodhana 
that Bhima, who was just a young boy, was fed with deadly, deadly poison. And from this poison, he fell unconscious. And he was thrown into the river. And it is described on the bottom of that river, the Nagas, the venomous serpents, they began to bite him. But as they bit him, their poison perfectly counteracted the poison that they had given him. And through this process, he attained far, far greater strength and power than he ever had before. And it is also described in the Mahabharata how uh, Dhritarashtra, under the plea of wanting to give enjoyment to his nephews, he built a beautiful, beautiful house in the city of Varnataka. But he make it, made it out of uh, highly flammable lack. And he said to his um, nephews, that you kindly take vacation, you've been working very hard. And also Kunti, who was a widow, she was along with them. And the plan was to burn them alive until they were dead. But by the grace of the great devotee Vidura, he warned them of what was to take place. So they created a subway by which they went underground and escaped the massive fire. It is also explained in so many ways. Ah, they were being persecuted in the gambling match with Shakuni. They lost all of their inheritance to the kingdom and the throne, all of their wealth, all of their clothes even their own wife, Draupadi, was subjected to being stripped naked before the men. But by the grace of Sri Krishna, because she called out his name with feeling, she was saved. And in this way, for 14 long years, they were living in the jungles, traveling, being subjected to the attacks of various rakshashas, to terrible embarrassment, humiliation, terrible rumors about them, being spread viciously by the leaders of the Kurus. And for one full year, they had to hide. Although they were of the royalist order, they had to disguise themselves. One as had to take care of the horses for a year. Nakula Sahadev. The other took care of cows. The other is a menial cook. Arjuna had to disguise himself as a eunuch and give dancing classes to a young princess. And, ah, and Yudhisthira, who deserved by all means, to rule the entire world. He took the lowly position of an advisor to the king. And throughout all this, 
Mother Kunti. If we think of the sufferings of the Pandavas, we have to multiply it by thousands when we think of Queen Kunti, because she had to see her beloved sons in this condition, and she was helpless to do anything about it. So here Bhishma, tears of love and affection are flowing from his eyes as he sees that in the end, Queen Kunti and the Pandavas are being glorified. Standing beside the Lord of their life, Sri Krishna, they have come to see him. And what he is saying here is most wonderful. He says in his opinion, and of course the opinion of Bhishma is of the supreme authority. There are 12 Mahajans, one of which is Bhishma, which means he is one of the 12 topmost authorities on spiritual knowledge of the Absolute Truth. Mahajano Yenagatasapanta. And anyone who wants to advance in spiritual life must follow in the footsteps of these great Mahajans. <coughs> he is explaining that there is no reason why these injustices should have come upon you. There is no logic, no reason behind it. It is in my opinion, due to inevitable time, under whose control everyone is being carried as the clouds by the wind. How wonderful is the influence of inevitable time. It is irreversible. Otherwise, how can there be reverses in the presence of King Yudhisthira, the son of the demigod controlling religion? And then he describes how Time is non-different than Krishna. Krishna says in the Gita, Time I am the devourer, the destroyer of everything that exists. When Krishna appears in the form of time, he is the supreme controller of everything that exists in this world. Can you show me anything or anyone that is not utterly under the control of time in this world. Right now, what is time doing to you? The children are little by little growing. The adults are little by little deteriorating. It is happening in such a subtle, invisible way that we don't see it but imperceptibly time is destroying everything at all times. Even the mightiest mountains of the Himalayas are little by little being destroyed by the power of time. And who could withstand? We find in history sometimes mystic yogis, they could reverse the metabolistic um, direction of their physical bodies through subtle control of the prana. And in this way, sometimes could live for several hundreds of years. And we consider that very, very masterful. That such yogis, huh, how they have mastered the body and the mind. 
But where are they today? In due course of time, even they are imperceptibly devoured by the power of time. Therefore, we must understand that this time is none other than Krishna, the Absolute Truth, Bhagavan. And we are all the servants of Krishna in the form of time, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. Bhishma Dev is in a most wonderful way enlightening us by explaining that how Krishna is working and why he does what he does through his various agencies such as time in this world no one can understand in fact in the Chaitanya Charitamrita there is a similar story is described that one very, very great scholar. In fact, this man was considered the number one greatest scholar of Vedanta in all of India. He was a Grihastha man. He was Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya. And he was so learned, so enlightened in the Vedantic philosophy that even sannyasis would travel far and wide to sit at his feet and be his student to learn. And when the Supreme Lord Krishna incarnated 500 years back in the divine golden form of Sriman Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he met with Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya. He went in the Jagannath temple and in the spirit of pure love of God, in the guise of a devotee, he fainted before the deity of Jagannath. And Sarvabhoma took him to his own house to bring back the symptoms uh, of life. He was practically unconscious in every sense of the word, in his divine ecstatic um, feeling. And when he came to consciousness, the son-in-law of Sarvabhoma, Gopinath Acharya, he said, do you know who this is? Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya said, I know who he is. He's only 24 years old and he took sannyas. And he has very beautiful lotus eyes, a wonderful golden complexion. I don't see how possibly he's going to be able to maintain his vows unless he really scrutinizingly understands Vedanta. And there's no one that knows Vedanta better than me, so I should be the one to train him. And Gopinatha Charja said, what are you talking about? Don't you know that this is the Supreme Personality of Godhead? You, you consider you are more learned than him? That you can be his teacher? And Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya said, according to the Vedas, he is not the Supreme Personality of Godhead, therefore I cannot accept it. The Supreme Lord is called Tri-Yuga. He only appears in three yugas. He doesn't appear in Kali-Yuga. Of course, Gopinathacharya was also a great scholar of the Vedas. It is explained in the Bhagavatam when Gargamuni came to meet with Krishna, his father, Vasudeva, 
Nanda Maharaj. He told them huh, that the Lord appears in four yugas in four different colors. He appears in a beautiful white complexion in Satya Yuga. Uh, he appears in red complexion, Treta Yuga, in a blackish complexion in Dwapa Yuga, and in a beautiful golden complexion in Kali Yuga. Why is he called Tri Yuga? Tri Yugi? Because in Kali Yuga, he doesn't appear claiming himself to be God. But he disguises himself as a devotee of God for the specific purpose of training people by his own example how to be devotee of God. So Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya, because of his pride in being such a great scholar, he said, I cannot accept this. And Gopinatha Charja felt very sorry for his uncle. He said, my dear uncle, I must say that you are just a reservoir of useless knowledge of the Vedanta. Because factually, unless you receive the grace of God, you cannot understand anything in truth. And it is a fact. Tadvigyanartam sugurum eva abhigatjait. It is described in the Mundaka Upanishad that unless you study and humble yourself under a bona fide guru, you cannot understand the Vedas. It is impossible. There are so many apparent contradictions. There are so many inconceivable ideas. You can never understand the essence or the heart of it unless you take shelter of a bona fide guru. And how to take shelter? Krishna says in Gita, Tadvidi Pranipatina Pariprashnena Sevaya. You see, it's not that you just accept initiation. Now I have a guru, study Vedas, become Sanskrit scholar, become very learned, and think that you'll figure it out. Never! In billions of births, you'll be bewildered. And you'll be so bewildered that you think you know the truth. But there are three most essential qualifications in approaching a guru. One is pranipat. That means the first thing you have to do is follow in Arjuna's footsteps. You must accept that I am a fool. You must accept that I do not know. You must accept that I have imperfect senses. I have a tendency to cheat. I commit mistakes and I'm invariably illusioned that because I am covered by these four defects, I cannot understand anything as it is. Therefore, the first most important qualification is you must humble yourself before Guru. Whatever you know, you have to put it aside and admit that you don't know. That's the beginning. Otherwise, you don't need a Guru. If you're not willing to do that, it's all just a fashion. It's a fad. 
Our Guru Maharaj used to say, many people, they like to keep a Guru like they keep a flower pot on their wall. They just see, I have my Guru. Every now and then I water it. They keep a Guru for their own prestige. But that is not correct. Through such a process, the transmission of knowledge cannot take place. Pranipat. That means you have to humble yourself. Seek the shelter of the lotus feet of this personality. That I do not know anything. Please instruct me. Krishna, Jagat Guru himself, wasn't willing to say a single word to Arjuna about transcendental knowledge until Arjuna came to this platform. As long as Arjuna thought, I know what's best for me, Krishna simply remained silent. There was no use in talking to such a person who thinks he knows. He who he convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. What can you tell a person who already knows? In classical music, there was a very famous music teacher, and it is described that he would teach the piano. And if you never played the piano before in your life, he would charge you a certain amount of money for the lesson. And if you had already been playing before, he would charge you twice as much. Because before he could teach you anything, he has to first convince you that you don't know anything. Otherwise, you're a useless student. You'll always be second-guessing or coming up with another idea. And after pranipat is pariprasna. Once you seek shelter and humble yourself, then you must inquire submissively. What is the real goal of life? What is the supreme occupation? What is real dharma? What is the duty of a man about to die? What is, who is God? What is my relationship? Who am I? And ultimately, these inquiries fructify in the third principle, which is sevaya, where we ask the question, how can I serve you, Guru Maharaj? And how do we serve? Not just by giving garland or washing feet, but by following the instructions he gives us in our life, day by day. And when the disciple has this consciousness and this approach, then, yasya prasada bhagavat prasado, yasya prasada nagati kutopi. It is described when one pleases the guru in this way, then the grace of Krishna comes through him into the heart of the disciple. The guru is not Krishna, but the guru is the manifestation of Krishna's grace in this world. The delegated representative of Krishna to deliver the supreme grace, the divine grace of God into this world. So when one is favored by Krishna, 
through such humility and devotion, then one can understand things as they are. Not otherwise. Then when we read the Shastra, Krishna reveals through the words of the Shastra the essence of what is truth. And if we cannot read the Shastra, if we're just a simple housewife, just doing our duties to our husband and our family in that same consciousness, then Krishna will reveal the truth through our everyday life work. You know the story in Vrindavan when the Brahmins were performing their yajna, but they were so proud of their learning that they failed to humble themselves to render service to the Lord. Their wives were not learned at all, but they knew one thing, that Krishna is great. Let us render service for his pleasure. They attained perfection of realization. So here Bhishma is explaining that even the greatest philosophers who inquire exhaustively they are bewildered. But for one who Krishna bestows his causeless mercy upon, that person can understand in truth. Why is it that the Pandavas were put through such incredible tribulations? It is explained by the great Acharyas that there were several reasons. It was on the basis of Krishna's direct and personal intervention in their lives that they were put into these difficulties. Because you see, in this world, everyone has to meet so many reversals in their life. Dukalayam ashashvatam. That means that because this place is temporary, we cannot avoid problems. We have, in our congregation tonight, so many wonderful doctors. And sometimes I see that they're more sick than the average person. <laughs> Although they have big, big degrees in medicine, anatomy, understanding exactly what's taking place in the body, how to cure everything, and yet they're always sick. We're simply not the controllers. A few years, the Shah of Iran, he was the most powerful, powerful person. He had billions of dollars, wonderful palaces, wonderful family. Plus, he had the United States of America with all their bombs and everything ready to defend him. He was best friends. And one day, he was just kicked out. He was just hiding, disguising himself, running for his life. Huh? Whoever we are, Mr. Kennedy, you know, John F. Kennedy, he was the commander-in-chief of the largest, most powerful army in all the world, the FBI, the CIA, the Secret Service. They were all at his disposal at all times. And then he was not expecting. He was warned. Don't go in a convertible today. Go in a... Go in a 
bulletproof car because we have heard somebody is out there trying to assassinate you. He said, I'm not worried about those things. Do you know who I am? Do you know how powerful I am? But could he protect himself? Not possible. And even the greatest athletes, if a little mosquito bites them and happens to have a little bacterial germ called malaria, they're laying on the ground for weeks, can't even get up. How Krishna just has such a sense of humor. <laughs> he beats you to the ground with a mosquito. Huh? Whoever we are in this world, nothing is guaranteed. The only thing that's guaranteed is that, is that nothing is guaranteed. <laughs> Death is guaranteed. That we know. But in this life we don't know. Padam padam yadvi padam sham. It's a world where there is danger at every step. And whoever you are, I remember, Recently I read a book by one man. He's considered in modern history to be the, the topmost authority of health. And he wrote many books about how to have certain types of diets and to become very healthy. And he, was con he healed himself of the most treacherous diseases and he was considered the most pristine and perfect manifestation of good health. He was tested by all sorts of technical devices and they said we have never seen anyone with such perfect health order. And he had uh, the method by which everyone could become like him, physically very, very healthy. And he was traveling around the world. The man was from Europe, I think from Germany, and he was traveling around the world giving lectures. And he was changing the hearts of so many health-minded people. And one day after his lecture, he was in Los Angeles, California. People were thinking, this man, the way his body is, he'll live till 150, 160 years old. It's not, it's not in any way deteriorating over the years. So he was walking to his car and he happened to slip on some oil that was spilled on the street and he cracked his head and died right then and there. He was only 45 years old. Huh? I know people who smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, drink a quart of liquor a day, and they live longer than him, eat anything that comes before them. That's the way this world is. At any moment, death can come. Maharaj Pariksit asked the question, what is the duty of a man about to die? Why? Because we are all in that predicament. We do not know. So therefore, reversals and tribulations will come in everyone's life, whether you are a devotee of God or whether you are an atheist. The question is how you receive these conditions. Some people are so foolish, they think, that if I become devote to God, to Krishna, then everything will just be just the way I like it in the material world. 
after all, Krishna is the supreme controller, so I'll get the best job, I'll get the prettiest, nicest, most faithful wife. I will have so many wonderful friends who love me and adore me, and, and my children will be perfect gentlemen, and they'll take care of me for the rest of my life, and maybe I won't even die. <laughs> Then they start chanting the holy names and they see it's not like that. <laughs> Krishna says, Yasyaham anagrinami tham dhanam shanai. When I show my real mercy to my devotee, I, I give him whatever he wants. But when I show my real mercy, I take everything away. That <laughs> way my devotee falls at my feet forever and Krishna save me. Draupadi never called out for Krishna so much as when, her, when everything was taken away. So in this way, whoever we are, whatever we do, as long as we're in this material world, there will be reverses. Therefore, Krishna wanted to show through the lives of the Pandavas how to take shelter of God in every situation. When they had nothing living in the jungles, they were simply faithfully the servants of Sri Krishna. And when they were put on the throne as the kings of Hastinapur, the king of the whole world, they were faithfully rendering service to Sri Krishna. There was no difference in their hearts, no difference in their minds. They were transcendental to the external circumstances. That is Krishna consciousness. They were thankful, grateful to whatever Krishna was giving them. It is explained there is a Bengali proverb that the mother teaches the daughter-in-law through the daughter. Because when the daughter-in-law comes to the house of her husband's mother, she's naturally very shy. She doesn't really know what to do in that house. I've never been in this situation, but According to the proverb, this is the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> the daughter-in-law goes, and the whole house has a certain ways of doing everything, which is completely foreign to her previous conditioning. And how to serve the husband, make him happy, how to serve the in-laws and make them happy, she doesn't know. And she's very shy. So therefore, what the mother does is she very, very carefully and strictly teaches the daughter. And the daughter watches. The daughter-in-law watches the daughter being taught, and this is how she runs. And she's not offended. So in the same way, when God wants to teach the world how to serve him and how to love him, he teaches through his most intimate children, his pure devotees. And by us watching how Krishna is dealing with the Pandavas, we can understand perfectly how to progress on the spiritual path of life. And there's another reason that the great Acharyas have explained why Bhishma was put on the wrong side. Who can understand this? He's one of the twelve Mahajans. He's one of the 
in the Mahabharata, he's the greatest of all the devotees of Krishna. Why was he fighting against the Pandavas? Why was he taking sides with a crook, with a cheater, with an irreligious man, Duryodhana? Duryodhana was not only a, a cheater and an envious person, but he directly endeavored right before Bhishma's eyes to have Krishna apprehended and thrown into prison. He was an outright rascal. And yet Bhishma was fighting for him. Who can understand this? Some people say, well, he was obliged to Duryodhana because Duryodhana was taking care of him for so many years and he had to do it out of social etiquette. But forget that nonsense excuse. I mean, on a, on a superficial social level, that's a good excuse. But Bhishma was a Mahachan. He was a topmost Paramhamsa surrendered soul. Do you think he cares about social etiquette when it comes to fighting against the Lord and his pure devotees? That's another reason. Because Bhishma knew that Krishna wanted him on the other side. Bhishma knew that he would be misunderstood and criticized for the rest of the creation of this world because he takes the other side. He knew that 99.9% .9 of the population would never think correctly why he took the other side. They would think that there was a flaw in him. They would think he was simply being paid off like an ordinary greedy man and criticized. And he was willing to accept eternal condemnation by the world. Why? Because Krishna wanted him on the other side. For Krishna, he didn't care what anybody thought. Why did Krishna want him on the other side? because Krishna wanted to show a lesson to the world through him. And he couldn't show this lesson to the world with such impact through anyone except Bhishma. Because Bhishma was the most powerful hero in all the planet. No one could defeat him. He was trained by Parasuram himself. And Parasuram empowered him with all of his strength and all of his ability. Even the Supreme Lord Parasaram could not, could not defeat Bhishma. And plus, he was given by his father, Santanu Maharaj, the benediction, unless he willed so, he could not be defeated or killed. He was the supreme, most powerful personality in this planet. And therefore, Krishna wanted to show whoever you are, however great you are, however powerful you are. He, he was taught military art by Parasuram. He was the most learned man also. He personally studied under Brihaspati, the guru and priest of the Devatas. He was the most learned scholar 
He was the most powerful warrior. He was the greatest politician. He was the greatest organizer of military strategies. He was utterly unconquerable and undefeatable by any relative standards. But Krishna wanted to show that anybody, whoever you are, whatever your qualifications are material, if you are not on the side of dharma, if you are not on the side of God's devotees, you will be destroyed. And Bhishma was glad, he was honored to accept this position. And Krishna was so pleased with Bhishma that here we find Bhishma laying in the bed of arrows. For several months he was laying in that condition because he had the benediction he would only die at his will and he did not want to die unless Krishna was standing right before him. So he was in that suffering, suffering condition until he attained the blessings and the grace of Sri Krishna. And here in this chapter we're finding Lord Sri Krishna. He is coming all the way back from Hastinapur with the five Pandava brothers to the battlefield of Kurukshetra for two reasons. Many reasons, but prim primarily two reasons. One is he wanted the world to understand the true glory of Bhishma through his instructions to Maharaj Yudhisthira. And two is he wanted to fulfill the innermost desire of Bhishma to leave this world in the loving presence of Sri Krishna. in-depth teaching regarding practically every aspect of our life, especially how to be a proper ruler and leader in society. When these instructions were complete, he saw that the, uh, what is that day, Makara Sankrant, the, when the uh, sun was just going into the northern hemisphere, it was an auspicious time to leave this world. And he focused his devoted eyes on the beautiful form of Lord Shamsundar Sri Krishna. And he began to glorify Krishna, that how inconceivable it is that in Vrindavan you were tied by the rope of Mother Jashoda. She's thinking that you're her little son. You're playing with the cowherd boys. They're thinking that only friend. How great, how wonderful, how merciful, how inconceivable is my Krishna. And then he was remembering ah, how on the battlefield Krishna showed how loving he is to his devotee. Krishna made a vow before this war that he would not lift a single weapon and he would not fight against anyone. He would only be charioteer. 
And during the war, when Duryodhana was putting too much pressure on Bhishma, Bhishma vowed that I'm going to make Krishna break his vow tomorrow. Competition. Why did Bhishma do that? That's very difficult to understand. He's a devotee and he's vowing to make God break his promise. Huh? Does that sound like what a devotee would usually do? If you're very advanced, sometimes it is. He had an internal reason. He wanted to glorify Krishna by doing this. He knew that Krishna's glory would be infinitely understood by anyone who has a sincere heart for all the rest of eternity by doing this. Bhishma was fighting with Arjuna with such force that Arjuna's chariot was broken. Arjuna was laying on the ground helpless and he was about to be killed. And Bhishma drew his bow and his arrow and he knew that he wasn't going to kill Arjuna. He knew that the only way Arjuna would be saved is if Krishna breaks his promise and personally attacks him to stop him. And when, Bish, when, our, when Lord Sri Krishna saw Arjuna is at the verge of death, he became so angry that his eyes red like fiery coals. He picked up the wheel of the broken chariot and he ran toward Bhishma. And as he was running, his hair was scattered. His body was covered by dust raised by the hooves of the horses. And Bhishma was shooting Krishna with arrows. And when Krishna attacked him in this way, Bhishma saw that he was finished. And he dropped his weapons and he fell and offered his obeisances and prayers to Sri Krishna. And of course Krishna spared his life because he surrendered. And he was remembering this beautiful pastime at the time of his death with such love and devotion. Why? Because he was thinking, how glorious is Krishna that to protect his devotee's promise he's willing to break his own because Bhishma made a promise Krishna was more concerned with protecting Bhishma's promise than protecting his own promise and not only that but Krishna also said before the fight that know that my devotee will never perish. And Arjuna was his devotee. He didn't, Krishna didn't sit, vow himself that my devotee will never perish. Krishna said to Arjuna, declare it boldly, Arjuna. You say it, that my devotee will never perish. So in order to t protect the word of Arjuna, he was willing to break his own word. That is the love 
That is the selfless, ultimate sacrifice of love that Krishna has for his devotee. And Bhishma, who was so deeply learned in transcendental science, deeply learned in the science of rasa, bhava, right there on the battlefield, he could just figure out all these intricacies of how he could best serve Krishna, although nobody could understand what he was doing or why, except Krishna. And Krishna was infinitely pleased at every step with everything he did. And therefore, to show his great love and affection, he appeared before Bhishma. And Bhishma, with his eyes fixed in the beautiful moonlike face of Sri Hari, with the holy name of the Lord upon his lips, he gave up his life and returned back home, back to God. Thank you very much. Is there any questions? How? Bhavatam, that any devotee has selected to want to fight on the wrong side. So why was this so essential for the shows to a great devotee like this? It doesn't happen very frequently. In fact, you don't have any other example. Maharaj Chitra Ketu. Maharaj Chitra was a pure devotee of the Lord. And by the arrangement of the Lord, he became Vitrasura, the greatest, most powerful demon who attacked demigods. It's also the story of Bali Maharaj. He's one of the great Mahajans. He, con- he, he conquered Indra and all the demigods fighting for the demons. So there are instances. Even Jai and Vijay, they were very good devotees of the Lord. They became Hiranyakashipu, Hiranyaksha, Ravana, Kumbhakarna, Shishupal, and Dandavakra. Krishna has his inconceivable will to instruct the world and to glorify his devotees. He glorified Bhishma in many ways. But the most significant is what we were reading this evening. At the time of Bhishma's leaving this world, Krishna came with Yudhisthira, who was the supreme emblem of Dharma in all the world, who was the king of the earth. And Krishna wanted Yudhisthira to be this on the order of Krishna, Yudhisthira became the pupil, the student, to learn the higher sciences of life from Bhishma. Is this not a glorification? And in showing the world how Bhishma left this world in such a trance of ecstatic love of God, he 
glorified him for all eternity. Any other questions? Yes? In our natural condition, in the spiritual world, there's no need for catastrophes. There's need, no need for problems or tribulations. <clears throat> in that condition, everyone at all times is remembering Krishna with love, with the most intense ecstatic love. Therefore, in the spiritual world, there is no danger. There is no problems. There is simply chanting, dancing, and feasting throughout eternity with Krishna. But in this material world, due to our conditioned state of consciousness, we have this tendency to want to be the enjoyer. And when we enjoy, we forget the need to take shelter of Krishna. We think that everything is all right without Krishna. We might not say like that, but in the heart of hearts, we're feeling that way. Therefore, the tendency is in this material world to forget our constitutional position, that we are depending on the mercy of God at all times. And it is when we are in danger when we have no other alternative except to turn to Krishna to save ourselves from utter frustration, then we turn to Krishna with our whole hearts. It is not that it's necessary for all. It is necessary for those who are still conditioned by this forgetfulness. Therefore, it is his mercy to put his devotee in tribulation. The Pandavas in no way need to be put in tribulation. They were on that level of the devotees of the spiritual world. But in order to instruct the rest of us, Krishna used them as an example. It is a fact, if you could learn how to surrender to Krishna, and cry out his holy name in utter love and dependence, even when things are good, Krishna won't need to put you in any difficulty. But can you do that? When everything's nice, you're, you're, you're 
surrendering to Krishna is all lip service. Oh yes, I'm a devotee, I'm surrendered. But is it coming from your heart? When you're helpless and hopeless, it comes from your heart. When everything's all right, it comes from your lips. Huh? Krishna wants our hearts. He doesn't care so much about our lips. understand what real glorification is. There is a saying in English, do not throw pearls to the swine. Huh? In other words, the ignorant masses who don't hear from the acharya, who don't hear in a humble state of mind from the disciplic line of great saints, who are teaching the real essence of Krishna's reasoning, they can never understand, they can never figure it out with their tiny brains. But Krishna is glorifying Bhishma in the topmost way, in the hearts of those who know. I mean, in this world, who are people glorifying? Movie stars, models, rock and roll musicians, politicians. Huh? This is what the masses are glorifying today. They're the people that condemn Bhishma too. Krishna doesn't want Bhishma to be glorified in the same category as all these crazy people of this world. Hmm? Those people who have them detached themselves from all of the maya and illusion, they understand the truth of Bhishma's glory. Those who have a superficial conception of Mahabharata, they'll never understand until they take shelter at the lotus feet of someone who knows. Hmm? Great people, truly great people in this world throughout history have only really been appreciated by few people. Questions? Yes? So, in the 99% of the people, the dualities exist in their heart. So, how is Krishna showing them mercy by giving them these dualities? Or 
मध्ये हरगोल इक्वॅलिटी व्हॉट इज कृष्णा ग्रँड प्लॅन Well, in one sense, his grand plan is to come as Kalki Avatar and chop off everyone's heads. <laughs> 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 He won't listen to anything else except the sword of Kalki Avatar. <laughs> but in the meanwhile, he's giving everyone a chance. He's giving you freedom, but he's giving you a f- all facility to perfect your life now. But in Kali Yuga, that is just the tendency of the conditioned souls. It's to have another idea. Mm-hmm. But Krishna is so kind, one way or the other, he'll liberate you. <laughs> But why wait? It's still, a, it's still another 427,000 years. <coughs> till Kalki Avatar comes to liberate all the foolish people. Why not take shelter of the holy name and attain love of God now? Chaito dharapanam marajanam bhava mahadavagni nirvapanam Sreya kairava chandrikavataranam vijyavadhu jivanam Anandam budivaradanam pratipatam punamritashvadanam Saravatmasna paramparam Vijayate Sri Krishna Sankirtanam. The Lord has incarnated in this age within the sound of his name. Kali Kale Namarupe Krishna Avatar. In Kali Yuga, Krishna is ever existing within the sound of his name. There's no need to wait 427,000 years to get your head chopped off by Kalki Avatar's sword. Right now, today, you can attain the destination of Prema Bhakti. Cleanse your heart of all of these illusions and misgivings by simply learning how to properly chant the holy name with attention, with devotion. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare.